Hi, this is Ron Hogan, and you're listening to Life Stories, a Beatrice.com podcast where I talk with memoir writers about their lives and the art of writing memoir. My guest today is Dara Lynn Weiss, and we will be talking about The Heavy, A Mother, A Daughter, A Diet, which is published by Ballantine Books. Hello, Dara. Hi, thanks for having me on the podcast. So this book, well, even before the book caught controversy, uh, the article that it's and I actually, I shouldn't say the article that it's based on because there's a timeline that we'll get into. But the article in which these themes first appeared really sort of opened you up to a lot of exposure and criticism. Let's just lay things out first in that this is a book about how when you discovered that your seven-year-old's daughter was seriously overweight, you took charge of setting up an eating regimen for her in order to get her back down to a healthy weight. Correct. And you talked about this in the Vogue article, Mm -hmm. and the mothers of America went ballistic. A lot of them did, not all of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were certainly uh, people who understood where I was coming from, but, you know, it is an extremely emotional issue, and I, uh, having gone through it as a mother and as someone who exists in the world, I was aware that people disagreed with my approach and that I was making this an issue at all for my daughter and that it was not something that everyone was supportive of. It was interesting to me in that, you know, you talk about how simply the act of putting yourself out there opens yourself to all this criticism in terms of the ways that you were denying your daughter certain types of food at, at this time. And, and this is something we'll get into a little bit more as we talk about the specifics of your experience. But then, like, a couple of weeks after the controversy around your article, there's another story about how all these mothers in Park Slope are going ballistic because there's this ice cream yeah, truck, ice cream truck sure. <laughs> you know, waving ice cream in front of their kids' faces. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so much a part of every parent's life, food, nutrition, healthy weight, and I think parents of obese children have a an unfair disadvantage in that they are so much more subject to scrutiny, so much more subject to judgment and criticism for parenting their children around food. And I write in the heavy about that Park Slope ice cream truck, how sort of the press made fun of those moms for being overprotective, but there was not this sort of screaming like, allegations of abuse against these mothers for not wanting their children to eat ice cream, whereas, quite honestly, that's basically what was leveled against me, that I didn't want my child eating ice cream, and I was a monster for it. And, you know, I kind of ask, what is the difference in that situation? And it's the weight of the children involved, and that when your child is obese, you're in a special category where what you say and do around your child's eating is very fraught and very subject to scrutiny and it's a very uncomfortable position right i mean here you are trying to be a good mom and all of a sudden you've become the tiger mom of 2012 without even trying the worst mom in america i believe i was called and that just seemed shocking to me based on this story that i told that quite frankly i would think the premise of everyone should agree with that when your doctor tells you your child is obese that it's not even a question of well this might cause my child health problems later on she was experiencing health issues at that time you know she was not just overweight she was well into the obese category her blood pressure had jumped her weight had jumped at a rate that was not healthy and 
you would think that people would at least understand that motivation. And even that was called into question. And the idea became not that I was interested in my daughter's health, but that I wanted my daughter to be thin and that I was concerned about my daughter's appearance and that I was shaming her into fitting some sort of ideal that I had of what she should look like. Again, that was something that I feel people jumped to that conclusion based on my article for, you know, many potential reasons, but was not not the reality of the situation. It was something that was part of what parents of obese children are subjected to, questions about their motivations and questions about what they're doing to their children in approaching this problem. So, so let's backtrack a, a little bit to that original tipping point in terms of when you decided you needed to do this program. As you say, I mean, your daughter was seven at the time. And it's an age where, you know, the body mass index in terms of the way that she's growing height and and weight, that a few pounds can really make a, a significant difference. As you say, there were blood pressure issues involved and you felt like this wasn't just like, oh, you know, she could stand to lose a couple of pounds. This was a medical issue. That was something I took from our pediatrician and from the childhood obesity specialist whom we met with. I think I didn't feel qualified to make that judgment on my own. And in fact, you know, she didn't match my mental image of what an obese child would look like. She, you know, was such a happy, beautiful kid. You know, I could tell she was heavy, but I didn't necessarily understand the extent to which she was unhealthy. And that's something we responded to the pediatrician and, and ultimately the specialist we went to about, because it is so hard to tell kind of when that line has been crossed. And in the whole process of this weight loss, she lost 16 pounds, which isn't an enormous amount of weight in the world, but for a child of that size, it was the difference between obese and healthy, so it was very significant. But it's it, it it's, it's true, as you say, that, you know, a little bit of weight at a child that young can make a big difference, not only in their health, but in the kind of weight set point that they're, they're establishing for their bodies and the habits that they're establishing. There's a lot of reasons to make positive changes early for the sake of the child. One of the things I really like as I'm reading about the way that you handled this with your, your daughter is you talk about reframing our understanding of what a diet is. For most of us, you know, you say the word diet and it's a weight loss program. It's it's something that we institute because, you know, we're going to, we have this specific goal of like, we need to lose this much weight in this amount of time and that's going to be our diet. And what you're saying is like, no, let's go back to the more expansive definition where this is an eating strategy that isn't just about attaining a specific goal. It's about a diet is an eating strategy for the long term. Yeah. I do think that this idea that diets don't work, that's only true if you don't stay on your diet as long as you need to maintain that healthy way of eating, uh, which in my case certainly is forever. And probably for my, my daughter, I imagine she'll have to be on some version of a quote unquote diet forever. Because again, it's a situation in which the parent of an obese child, to use the word diet, is shocking and, and shameful. Whereas if a child needs to be on a low sugar diet or a low sodium diet or a gluten-free diet, the word diet is okay in that situation or nut-free diet. You know, it's, it's a word that we can and should use um, to describe the habitual way our children eat. But somehow my use of it, because it was associated with a child needing to lose weight, it became this kind of unpleasant word. And I did want to take it back a little bit and kind of say that 
children should be on quote-unquote diets. We should be thinking, what is my child eating every day and how is it addressing his or her particular health needs, especially if that child is not maintaining a healthy weight on his or her own. You know, B did have to change the way she eats and look at food in a way that was contrary to her natural inclination. And I think that felt like a diet and still does feel like a diet, but I think that's an important part of her lifestyle. And let's talk a little bit about the way that you and she started looking at food once you uh, decided to, okay, once we have to look at food in this new way, what was the, the way that you took up? Well, B and I have certain things in common with regard to food, and we both love food in a passionate, childlike way. And I wanted to maintain that joy in her life. I really was very concerned about being the mom who was depriving her kid of participation in the everyday eating occasions that, that are part of being a kid, birthday parties and pizza night and popcorn at the movies. But it was so clear that we needed to approach every situation that involved food with a lot more care than we had. So it took a ton of planning, but it was basically if someone wanted to take me out to dinner, we looked up the menu and we decided in advance what were possible options for her to eat. If we knew she was going to a birthday party, we planned a week in advance for that piece of cake to fit into her regimen. And it was exhausting and it is consuming because these sort of surprise eating situations pretty much happen every day. You can sort of expect that someone will present a situation uh, in which your kid is being offered food that you hadn't prepared for. That certainly happens every week, probably almost every day. So I tried to approach it with this kind of every food occasion is welcome, every kind of food is welcome, but we have to be vigilant at all times to make sure that participating in all these things allows us to stay in a healthy place, and it's very difficult right. to do. Right. And you say, I mean, it's not so much the food opportunities that are there, but keeping an eye on the calorie count. Yeah, because it's just, I mean, I don't have to tell anyone who's listening that the way we feed children, the way food is in our culture is totally out of control. Like the, the portion sizes, the calories, the sizes of drinks, the sugar content, it's certainly beyond anything I could hope to control, you know, on a grand scale, I can only try to control it for my for my daughter. But it, you can get into a lot of trouble if you're not careful, if you're uh, someone who has a proclivity, you know, to, to eat in a way that causes obesity. So it's tough. I was struck by your decision that, you know, sometimes it is okay to choose the processed, you know, 100 calorie snack pack mm -hmm. over the organic but more calorie rich, quote unquote, healthy snack. Mm -hmm. That came up again, probably on a daily basis, that her meals and snacks were incredibly healthfully prepared. I really took great pride in that. But that was true before we started this program. You know, she had a very well-balanced, healthy diet, cooked her meals from scratch, packed her lunch, fruits and vegetables, whole grains, everything I was supposed to do. And when it came to the point where the program we were following required quantity restriction, I really wanted to make the moments where she could have a choice or have a little treat count. And so when we basically arrived at this kind of habit where every day after school, her after school snack was any fruit she wanted, any vegetable she wanted, and 100 calories of snack. And that was the time of day I kind of said, what is it you want? And we still do this. And, and she wants a cookie, I will find her 100 calories of cookies. You know, she wants hot chocolate, I will try to get her 100 calories of hot chocolate. That, again, was a situation in which 
having a child who is overweight and making the decision to give her a processed snack versus the 200 calorie handful of almonds or the 180 calorie yogurt that, you know, on the surface has more nutrition, but maybe lacks that motivational property and lacks the, the benefit of falling into the 100 calorie or less requirement. It was uh, another kind of moment uh, where I felt people didn't understand the choice I was making. I want to talk a little bit about you making the decision once you had been going through this with, with B for a while to draw upon your experiences and share them with the world. Mm -hmm. And it seems like one of the ways that that started is that one of the jobs that you have as a freelancer is that you were reviewing footage from cooking shows. Mm -hmm. And as you're sitting here at home trying to bring your family's meals down to suitable calorie portions for your children, it strikes you that it's like, you know, we should have some sort of cooking program where we talk about, you know, coming up with dishes that have suitable portions for children. And you go to, you know, your bosses in the in the cooking television industry who basically tell you, you know, that's a great idea, but what television wants out of reality programs with kids is screwed up kids in dysfunctional environments. Well, I think there was some of that, and, <laughs> and I accept the kind of economic business reality of that and, and, and the television landscape that in some way encourages that kind of programming. But uh, what my boss also said, and he certainly felt strongly, and, and I can see the, the argument, is that that sort of show is basically saying you should feed your kids less. Your kids should be on a diet. Your kid needs to lose weight, which is true for many kids, but is something that parents are uncomfortable hearing and that network executives are uncomfortable saying. And I think that is very much demonstrated in the kind of childhood obesity initiatives that are in the kind of popular media in television and with celebrity chefs and the, you know, food revolution, Jamie Oliver kind of world that do a great job at encouraging healthful eating habits, but are not really cutting a kid's calories. And I, you know, write about in the book how I love Jamie Oliver's cookbook and he's a great chef. And I, I love that he works so hard to help kids understand nutrition. But when he has a carrot salad preparation, that's 180 calories, that's just does not work for me. And that's a recollection of mine. That number might not be accurate. But essentially, you can look at a lot of kids in the world and say, they're not eating enough carrots. If I can make a really delicious carrot salad for 180 calories and get them to eat their carrots, that's a great goal. Whereas I look at it as like, my child needs to watch her calories. She eats plenty of carrots. You know, I don't need her to eat even more carrots. So that recipe really doesn't help my child. And really, to in my situation of childhood obesity, is not really a, approaching a solution. And so I think there's that discordancy in, in the media. We kind of want to just say, this is all about eating healthier and more fruits and vegetables. And I kind of was living it and saying, that's really not doing the trick in, in combating my kids' obesity. It, it takes something a little more severe. And I think it's something that people don't want to, to think about. They don't want to think that there is severity and that there is food reduction, you know, sometimes required to help a kid lose weight. You're having this conversation with your producer, if I understand the timeline right, either around the same time or just before the sort of like Paula Dean tipping point where and now her son has this, you know, okay, here are the recipes you love from my mom, but without all the food that, you know, is bad for us, you know, with better food for us. I think that's true. I think that, that that timeline actually did sort of work out that way. And I think, you know, it's increasingly people are coming to that conclusion that a large 
problem uh, with kids and nutrition has to do with kids not eating the right things or not being sufficiently active. But there's a lot of kids like my daughter that have a really textbook, you know, not perfect healthy lifestyle, but eating all the right things, doing all the right things. And it's just a question of quantity and portion control and monitoring and that people are kind of realizing that the sort of more subtle approaches don't work for all kids and that and that some require this intervention that we don't want to have to think about. We don't want to have to think about cutting food and cutting calories when kids are involved. So when the TV option didn't pan out, it seems like the direction that this ended up taking was based on, on input from, from friends and colleagues of yours as well, that, that it was maybe more of a book project. And in fact, I think it's worth pointing out that you were fairly well along with this in terms of a book proposal or a book project before you, you know, anybody even said you should write a magazine article about it. Yeah, the magazine article came out of discussions about my thinking this would be an interesting book. And what I thought would be interesting to write about, either in a book or in an article, was very different from my kind of goal when I was thinking this maybe should be a cooking show. It was more, I was so astonished by the response that I got as the mother of an obese child and how surprised I was by the obstacles that are in kids' ways and in parents' ways and trying to deal with this problem and the judgments that are just heaped on you as you try to make your way in the world with an obese child and help that child. And that's what I really wanted to bring out. Not, you know, the methods I used or what we ate that's only necessarily applicable to my particular family, but these larger themes of why are people so frightened to talk about this issue, and I can tell you why, because they get nailed for it. When when you make these decisions to, to help your child in a way that is uncomfortable and is difficult, there is backlash, and I think that's what I hope to get out with the article, and it got out in, in a way that I hadn't even anticipated. And when the article came out in April of 2012, you write about, in the book, you're writing a story about your relationship and your work with you know, your young daughter. Mm-hmm. And so she is as much a part of this story as, as, as you are. You talk about the time when it came time to make the decision, is B going to be in the photo that comes with the article? Mm-hmm. At first, she doesn't want to do it, and you're like, okay, fine. And then she does want to do it. But you, you mentioned that you had talked to somebody who had said, keep her out of this, and then you chose to overrule that advice. Yeah. And, and looking back, it sounds like that's sort of like the one do-over you want out of this story. I would say so, and, and it's because of the response being so negative and emotional and controversial. I approached it as, I'm putting this story out there. This story is so much about what she achieved and so much about the work she did and what an inspiration she is. And it seemed preposterous that the image associated with this story should just be me. This is a story about our efforts, our relationship, about her accomplishment. And I approached it very much in that way and sort of hoped her participation would be received in that way. But when it became this incredibly vitriolic, emotional debate, I suddenly thought, why I I didn't intend to put my child at the center of that. Not that I hadn't been warned, you know, and and the the advice to leave her out of it was not necessarily, oh, there's going to be backlash and you're going to be bringing her into some big controversy. Just you decided to tell this story. This is an important story to tell. Parents need to hear what you've gone through. But they need to hear what you've gone through. They don't need, B doesn't need to be involved. And, and I was sort of like, I see the point of that. And then I 
was so moved by her, you know, wanting to be involved and being so proud of, of what she had done. And I, I think that allowed her to be in the picture in a way that ultimately I think was, was not in her best interest. Because there was that sense that by wanting to be in the picture, as you say, she was proud of what she had accomplished in a way that you were very concerned about initially because her initial reaction to having lost the weight that her pediatrician and her nutritionist suggested that she needed to lose was not that positive sort of like, okay, you know, I've lost all this weight. It's not now I am someone who is weight proportionate. It's I'm just somebody who used to be fat. Mm -hmm. And you know from from witnessing that that it that was as profoundly depressing as it sounds. And I related to it in Incredibly, because with my own struggles with weight, while I was never obese, I certainly spent many years being heavy and certainly many years feeling heavy, even if I wasn't. And that's always going to be a part of who I am, no matter what I weigh. And it broke my heart to realize that on some level, and, and you know, the, the future will tell, you know, I had hoped, you know what, I'm going to nip this in the bud. I'm going to get her healthy. She's going to be eight years old and never remember that she, you know, went through this time as being an obese child. And I hope that, you know, years will pass and this will become a, a sort of more and more of a, a distant memory. But at that moment, it was still very clear that this was something she had gone through. This was part of her identity in a way that didn't, couldn't change just when her eating habits changed and couldn't change because her when her weight changed and that was it was it was very moving and it opened my eyes to that this is a, a big emotional transition as well as a physical one it seems like it's it's not a theme that you particularly draw out in the course of the memoir but it, it does seem like the treatment that she re received during the period where you were actively seeing medical professionals the way that you frame it it reads as if it could have had a much stronger emotional component to balance the medical-slash-nutritional component that you were getting out of the weekly checkups. I, I do feel that there were a lot of parties involved mm -hmm. uh, in the in the nutritionist's office and that I think we would have probably benefited from... We thought the... I thought the main nutritionist we worked with was was terrific, and I always got a lot of out, out of those sessions. But she wasn't able to see us every week, and there was this kind of ever-changing cast of characters that I think did kind of leave a little bit to be desired in terms of having continuity and someone who understood where she was coming from. And ultimately, I did feel that those appointments, while useful for me in providing structure and advice, were not benefiting her emotionally and that they were almost challenging at times for her emotionally. So we did kind of stay with the program in terms of following the plan, but didn't, didn't seek the appointments. And, you know, I spoke to various professionals and still do in t when there are moments that I have concern for how she's faring emotionally as she goes through this process during the weight loss and now that she is a healthy weight. And the advice I've given is that she is so able and willing now to talk to me about these issues, and I'm so grateful for that. And while I still have that, uh, as long as it lasts, that is providing that emotional support. And and so that's kind of where I look to provide that to her from myself uh, rather than from a medical professional. And the other upshot of, of all this is that when it came time for the book to come out eight months or so after the article, 
she is no longer part of the picture, mm-hmm. you know, so to speak. You you did learn from the the what happened with the magazine experience to take mm-hmm. her out of that. Yeah, and and again, it's it's my own fear of involving her in some kind of controversy. But when I was considering whether to have her photographed in the Vogue article, I was talking to the people at the magazine about it, and they were being very understanding and you know allowing me to make the decision, but saying that they always handle these issues with children very respectfully, and they sent me a couple of articles that other moms had written about their children, featuring photographs with those children. And somehow all these other topics, whether it was adoption or food allergy or whatever it was, that was okay for those parents to write about and to be photographed with their kids. But suddenly when the issue is obesity, there's this shame that I'm exploiting her, that I'm embarrassing her, and that I, I found that to be true, you know, around the book. I feel like I'm not sure why this isn't something that a child should be proud of and, and shouldn't be celebrated for. And I wish that were different. I think that's uh, that's a reflection of the stigma that we still associate with obesity. But I'm, you know, not going to sacrifice her to the cause of trying to break down that barrier. I do think it's interesting that we are happy to, you know, celebrate the medical triumphs of children and with so many other diseases, but somehow this one is too sensitive. Having been thrown right into the furnace when the magazine article came out, sort of being prepared that way, what is the the media cycle like this time around? I have to tell you, I was terrified to put this book out, honestly, because of what had happened last time, and I felt that this time, instead of staying silent, I was going to be talking about it and opening myself up to, you know, all the more criticism. There were just more stories and details in the book about what we went through that I felt was giving people fodder to criticize and judge. And I have been so relieved and delighted by the way this book has been received in terms of it sparking a balanced debate. Certainly not everyone has converted to my way of thinking or thinks I did the right thing. But there have been so many supportive voices that have come out, so many just regular moms who have read this book, who have written to me or posted a review explaining that this is something they relate to, something they're going through. And that was sort of missing in that first round. And it's incredibly gratifying. And I'm so happy to, I mean, I wrote the book in spite of my fears of the backlash I would personally suffer because these are important topics to bring out there and not be afraid to talk about. And I'm really pleased to see that that is happening. People are talking and it's not just angry and judgmental. It's constructive and and nuanced and hopefully productive. Although obviously a certain amount of the drama in the story comes from those sort of tension points where, you know, you have to say no to your daughter. Exactly those points that people are, are arguing about and fighting about. At the end of the story, or at the end of the memoir, it seems really clear that however painful individual moments in this experience might have been for B, she's maturing and she's getting to a point where she is capable now of making these healthy decisions on an ongoing... You know, it's not something where you have to hold her hand forever. You you held her hand at first, and now she's closer to 10. I t- between 9 and Somewhere 10. between 9 yeah. and half. And she's already at a point where the lessons have stayed with her, that she you feel like she is capable of doing this on her own. That was the most gratifying aspect of this whole process, and I think it's so such a key aspect of parenting. Sometimes we have to force our children to do what's right for them, and sometimes we hope we can teach them to do it for themselves. I found that really what we went through was a fairly mundane 
albeit difficult parenting task. I mean, the book is called The Heavy because that is the position that parents are in so much of the time. You have to do what's best for your children, especially with issues of health, uh, even if they think it's a drag and you don't want to do it. You know, no one wants to like police their children's food all the time and put their kid on a diet, but you do it because it's the right thing to do. And to come out of that, having put so much love and concern and effort into the, you know, outcome and, and just to be able to see that now B is not only healthy because of what I did, but because of what she is doing is incredibly gratifying. The whole time that this story is, is going on, you, you also have a younger son. Yes. Who only eats like five or six kinds of food at all. <laughs> yes, although they, they hit all the food groups, yeah. but oh yes, he's a picky one. Yeah. Yes. Uh, has he... Has, has his palate expanded? I'm going to be honest. No. <laughs> um, you know, I told myself, once B reaches a healthy weight, I'm really going to work on David. He's going to have the tofu stir-fry when we're having the tofu stir-fry. I tried. I did not get nearly as far with him as I did with B, which, uh, you know, just goes to underscore every child is different. You can't expect the same results, even using the same parenting techniques. I will continue to work on it. I am pleased that he... Loves fruits, loves vegetables, eats protein. Do I wish he loved more in each category? Yes, it would make my life easier. But um, but he has I'm found the five best. or six foods that work for him, and he is exactly. staying with them. And I cook them every night, so yes. So this was your first magazine writing experience mm -hmm. and your first book writing experience. As a writer, where do you go from here, do you think? You know, I, I wrote this as a mom rather than as a writer. I loved doing it. It was so important for me and I think for my daughter to respect what we had gone through and, 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 and tell that story. I would certainly love to do it again if I had another story that I, I felt uh, was interesting, but I, I have no immediate plans and we'll have to see what comes. In the meantime, best wishes to you and to be in, in, in the rest of your family. And thank you for talking with us. Thank you so much for having me on the show. So this has been Life Stories. I'm Ron Hogan, and I've been chatting with Daryl Lynn Weiss about The Heavy, A Mother, A Daughter, A Diet, published by Ballantine Books. Thank you for listening, and keep an eye out for another episode of Life Stories soon. Thank you.